Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and we have another conversation with a pro-life leader with you today. We've had a few conversations over the last couple of months because I think it's interesting just to talk to people who are engaged in pro-life efforts around the world, all of them addressing different aspects uh, of the war against abortion, all of them addressing different aspects of the need uh, that our culture feels. We live in a profoundly broken culture, in a profoundly broken and post-Christian civilization. And so collectively around the world, to see all of these people making up the backlash to the sexual revolution, uh, to stand up for life, to stand up for those who are in desperate need of assistance rather than a simple offer of death, is something I always find very encouraging and inspiring. And in fact, I get asked pretty often, how do you stay hopeful when when most of what you write about is really depressing? And the answer to that, honestly, is that I spend so much time talking to people who are pushing back, who are fighting back, who have such encouraging stories to tell. And Bethany Jansen is one of those people. I've known her for a couple of years now. I first met her uh, in, I believe, Vienna, in Vienna when I went to to work with the group Pro-Life Europe uh, prior to the Austrian March for Life. Uh, those of you who listen to this podcast will be familiar with the story of Pro-Life Europe. If not, you can go back and listen to my interviews with Manuela Steiner. Anyways, Bethany Jansen was uh, heavily involved with them for some time, and she's now launched a new initiative uh, called Pro-Life Global. And Pro-Life Global seeks to set up uh, pro-life groups in countries and in areas where there are no pro-life groups. This is something she also did for Pro-Life Europe. She set up a pro-life group in Finland, which did, at that point did not have any pro-life groups. And one of the things I like about Bethany is she's so overwhelmingly optimistic. Uh, and, and, and just talking to her is encouraging because she goes out there and she does precisely what she says she's going to do. And she lacks the cynicism that many pro-life and pro-family leaders have accrued over years of, of experience and disappointment. So without further introduction from me, here's my conversation with Bethany Jansen now of Pro-Life Global. All right, Bethany, we first met when you were involved with the organization Pro-Life Europe. Our listeners will be familiar with Pro-Life Europe because we've talked to uh, Manuela Steiner uh, about that organization based out of Vienna. And since then, I know you've made the jump to launch a different organization, a very interesting pro-life global initiative. So maybe just introduce yourself to the listeners who don't know you and tell us how this new initiative came about. Well, hi, Jonathan. I'm really excited to get to be here today. And yes, we have launched a new initiative. It's called Pro-Life Global. And this is a brand new organization I incorporated in the United States. So I moved back from Europe last summer and... Our mission is to empower students and young people internationally, so really globally, especially in developing countries, to create a pro-life culture in their school, in their universities, in their communities. The passion for international pro-life work got planted in my heart when I went to China in 2015. And it wasn't a pro-life trip at all. It was a very just secular, human rights-focused initiative that I was a part of. And that's really where I saw, as a student leader, I was 21, had been leading the pro-life club at my Christian university back home and was in China. And I look out the window and I see this Planned Parenthood and I think, oh, what? There's Planned Parenthood here? And I remember watching on the move on the way over and there was another lady sitting next to me. She was from China and she was watching a soap opera, a Chinese soap opera. But in the movie, the main character has got an abortion. 
And it was sad. And it was something that the father of the girl forced his daughter to do. The father of the child didn't really have a voice. They ended up breaking up eventually after this. And it was a very sad situation. But it made me think, wait, what? An abortion in just the normal soap opera? It was interesting throughout the course of that time to see that they had no pregnancy help centers, that there was no education about abortion, really the reality of that. And that there were so many rampant abortions happening there. And that's really a time in my life where I was posed the question, what do I want to have accomplished when I'm 80? And one of those things that I remember writing down on this bus driving through the country of China was to be a part of ending abortion worldwide. What were you in China for? So it was a group called the Young Global Pioneers. And it was the very first year, a group of 20 of us from all around the world, two of us from the United States, And it was three weeks of learning journey where we got to meet with different business leaders and some political leaders and young people and share about what was happening in our countries and entrepreneurship and really how do we make a difference for human rights. And that was really the goal, to open up young people's eyes to see that need to make a difference globally in the world. Oh, that's very interesting because I've been to China once and it's not the the kind of place where abortion comes up publicly uh, uh, very often. And it's interesting because Young Pioneers was actually the name of the uh, young communist group in, in the Soviet Union, and they were very pro-abortion. The listeners will be familiar um, with the work of Pro-Life Europe, which you, you helped to found over in Vienna. But yeah, kind of tell us the story of how um, um, your inspiration and wanting to be involved in ending abortion worldwide. First, it took you to Europe. Uh, again, we'll be familiar with that story. And then what made you take the step now of, of you, you, returned, you returned to the U.S. from Europe, and now you're embarking on an entirely different mission. Well, it, it's the same mission, but it's, it's, it's focused on, on different continents. And it's quite a unique mission, actually. Aside from Human Life International, there aren't a lot of groups like this. Um, um, and your, your mandate, I think, is quite, is quite interesting. So, yeah, maybe give us that story. I suppose my Europe story actually started right after China when I went to study abroad in Germany. And I got connected there with the pro-life groups in Austria and Germany and the youth groups. And that's when I had challenged the leader at the time, who's still involved in the organization and now one of my good friends, and then said, hey, why don't you guys start pro-life groups in your universities and help women in pregnancy crisis, raise awareness, right, about the support out there for a girl and how pregnancy doesn't have to end her education. And later on, a few weeks later, they told me, hey, we're going to actually do this. We're going to start our first pro-life group in Graz, Austria. And at the time, I was really shocked and surprised, but that's when I first felt God call me, come back and help them start those pro-life groups there. And that came to fruition when I was able to come back in 2018, and then Pro-Life Europe came out of that. And I was not a founding member, because as an American citizen, you need to actually be a European citizen to be able to be a founding member of the organization. But I was a part of that that process of starting the organization. I really loved being in Europe, and it was amazing to see communities and countries that had no university pro-life groups and no youth movement at all, like Finland, actually starting that youth movement and starting to change that culture and young people raising up to be advocates for life. And that was a really awesome thing to see. And about a year and a half ago, as I was in that role of starting new groups across Europe, people started to reach out to us and ask pro-life Europe for support with starting pro-life groups in other parts of the world, like in Asia and in Africa. And they invited us to come. And the problem was pretty soon we had to have a discussion within the organization of how much are we able to help groups outside of Europe and how much are we able to start groups there. And we ended up coming to the conclusion that pro-life Europe is for Europe, just like there's organizations in the United States 
that are for the United States. So that was the conclusion we come to. And so last summer I said, well, I want to go to Africa and I went to Uganda and Kenya to do some intensive pro-life trainings there for a couple of the different organizations that are existing there to help the young people to actually know how do they how do they do outreach, right? How do they have conversations about abortion? I know CCBR focuses a lot on that. And I've appreciated the training that I've also received from CCBR in that regard. And it's been really cool now to be able to take some of those, those information and those, those tools and tactics to different parts of the world. So, but yeah, I took my vacation time and in Europe, we get a lot of vacations. That was a huge blessing. Took some vacation time and had a couple other teammates from Europe who had been a part of pro-life Europe or just friends who were involved in the pro-life movement. And then a couple of people who had been involved in student work in the United States pro-life student work and we came, we led this, you know, event in Uganda and Kenya. And it was out of that, that I had been praying, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this international pro-life work, I really need a team and I can't do this by myself. And while we were there in Uganda in the back of this Jeep, I was just chatting with everybody. Hey, what do you want to do? What are your plans? And I shared, you know, my heart to, to be able to raise up young leaders internationally to save lives. And I saw that that need that there's people who are passionate about doing it, but they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to organize a good outreach. They didn't know how to have club events, how to form a constitution, what type of leadership positions to do, especially in, in countries where they don't have a longstanding civic culture of civic engagement and of leadership structure and groups in their schools. So many times there's no other clubs in the schools besides the pro-life club like in some of the rural villages of Uganda. And so we have to start, you know, to really a ground structure of how do you form a club constitution? What does that even look like? What is the significance of that? It was so amazing to see the lives actually saved in Uganda. In the first six months, they already saved 12 lives. Those 25 high school clubs that had been started there about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And now they have saved 38 lives and counting. And and that's just the early fruit. And it was so encouraging because I was just literally a few minutes ago on a call right before getting on with you with some leaders that we work, got to work with. They're working the slums of Kibera, Kenya, and their group called Hands of Grace is going into the schools and they're giving pro-life talks. We train them about how to give a very simple talk that you can give using pictures because they don't have projectors in their schools. So yeah, so you just use, you know, you draw a picture of the sperm egg fusion, right? Talk about human life and conception. You draw a picture of, you know, what an abortion looks like, you know, our skull and crossbones. And you talk about how abortion ends at human life. You show the fetal model. We gave them some fetal models and they were super excited to have those. And they passed them around the classrooms and show everybody. And then they say, hey, you know, this is the reality of abortion, but if you have experienced abortion, you can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that is a freedom. And that now understanding that we want to be there to help other people in pregnancy crisis, to be able to be those good Samaritans and to help those who are struggling. And I was just talking with the leader who's been organizing a lot of this stuff. And he said, you know, right after you guys came, there were several people in the schools that we were working with that ended up telling us that they were pregnant, going to get abortions. And we sat down with them and we talked to them and we helped them to choose life. And now their children are here today. So when you're looking at uh, a pro-life global, when did you, when did you formally launch this organization and how did you launch it? Cause I know you have partners 
in the organization. And so a lot of people will be wondering, like, how does a young woman get a, a get a global pro-life initiative off the ground in record time? We officially got our incorporation in October. And we have a team that's all volunteer run. I am also a volunteer at the moment. I'm doing support raising. So if anyone listening here today, if you say, wow, I want to save lives and be a part of that, raising up young leaders internationally, then do reach out to us at Pro-Life Global. We would love to have you joining in that support. We are extremely grateful to many different organizations and pro-life leaders who have given us a lot of advice and support. David B. Wright was someone initially who gave some really good strategic advice and connected us with. St. Thomas More uh, Legal Society, who's been actually funding our legal process. So the attorney has been working with us on incorporation and IRS documents and such, and that's been a huge blessing. We have organizations like CCBR offering, you know, to provide us with, you know, materials and Equal Rights Institutes and many different other organizations who people who realize like, wow, this is this is needed and no one else has been doing it. And we're happy to help you and support you in that effort. And honestly, it's just been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, from our whole team. You know, as I said, we're all volunteering. You know, some of us volunteering full-time, most people working another job, and then just on the weekends and the evenings and making it happen. It's been incorporated since October, but in just a couple of months, uh, my understanding is you've, you've been to several countries already. So uh, tell us a bit about that. You've been to Guatemala, I know, and Jamaica. So what was it like uh, in Guatemala? How did you get invited there? And what kind of work did you do on the ground there? Tell us about that experience. So we got invited to a conference there called the Ibero-American Conference for Life and Family, Congress for Life and Family. And that was put on by a specific organization that's working with evangelical Christians and pro-life organizations across Latin America. So we were invited by a different pro-life organization from the States who had been invited and reached out to us to invite us. And so when we got to go, it was a really amazing experience because we met with politicians and ministers uh, from many different Latin American countries, Brazil and Paraguay, many of which are very excited to work together with us to raise up young leaders. And I also got to meet the president of Guatemala, which is a honor as well. It was crazy my trip to even get to Guatemala. I literally did not think I would have it. But in the end, God made it happen. And I got there and I'm super, super grateful because now we're following up with many of those people. Actually, when we were there, we got connected with one of the organizations is working with young people in Guatemala. And we had a meeting with a couple of their leaders and we asked them, hey, how's it going with university students there? Because Guatemala and the reason this Congress was hosting Guatemala and that we got to meet the president is the Guatemala had been announced and just announced as a capital of Latin America is a pro-life capital of Latin America, or Ibero-America is as it refers to in Latin America, usually. So they said, hey, we want to have pro-life laws, and we want to really call out Guatemala as a city upon a hill, a city upon a hill and light to the nations. And there had been a prophecy years and years before that Guatemala would be a light into the nations. And so they put a huge monument into the National Palace that the president himself made as really an offering to God and paid for. And it shows the map of the Americas and Guatemala as being a light there. And this Guatemala has protections for the preborn legally, but there's a lot of work to be done. And it's kind of like in a in Latin America, there's an event where when a girl's 15 in the Kensington, she's announced as a woman. 
But yet she still has a lot of growth to do to really become a full mature woman. And similarly, that's when they announced Guatemala as the pro-life capital of Latin America, that they had a lot of growth that would still need to be done. That's what happened when we met with these leaders of the pro-life organization there. And we said, hey, what are you guys doing with the young people? And they said, well, we have 120 young people who are in our meetings, who are going to workshops and sessions we're giving. And they said, we're afraid to be pro-life at our universities. It's difficult. It's a hostile environment. And there's a lot of ideology that is pushing abortion. And so we challenged them. We said, hey, why don't you actually start pro-life groups in new universities? And of course, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. But that's where we need to go. That's where the challenge is. And it's amazing because in the past month, since we were there, they have actually started 10 groups. Several of them are already official at their universities. They already have leaders for all their groups. Some of the groups have 10 members, some have 20, some just have a couple. And they have about 120 people who've already committed from these different universities to being a part of these groups. So when you're going into to a lot of these countries, what you end up finding, of course, is that the cultural differences are a lot different, as in the, the culture is radically different when it concerns abortion in, in one from one country to the next. As you know, like I remember when I was in Ireland, you know, the activists almost universally referred to abortion as murder because that was literally the law at that point. And while there's been debate in the pro-life movement about what's the most persuasive you know, word to use in, in the Canadian context or the American context, each context is very different. And of course, you're also going to be running into the language barrier in other countries. So how do you navigate all of those challenges? Fortunately, our Latin American coordinators speak Spanish. So that's a blessing for sure. And honestly, I'm grateful that most of the leaders in the pro-life movement in Latin America and most of the countries that we have gone to do speak English. I definitely have worked with interpreter. We worked with an interpreter in Uganda when we were there, interpreting to the local languages. And also, yes, when we do events and such in Latin America and in Guatemala, a lot of the events were in Spanish. And I don't speak Spanish. So again, getting translation for that was really helpful. It is definitely different, the culture regarding abortion. In most of the countries that we're working, abortion is not legal. That said, abortion is still happening. When we were in Jamaica, we asked the students, do you know someone who experienced abortion? And one quarter of the students said yes. So there is quite prevalency of abortions in many of these countries. Sometimes estimates are one out of five children are aborted. Globally, the World Health Organization says one out of three children worldwide is aborted. Some people would argue that those estimates are greater than reality. However, from when I was in Uganda, just going on the street and talking to a woman in a village and her telling me that she had gotten an abortion a month before using herbal medicine because her man had left her and she's wondering how she's going to be able to pay the school bills for her kids that she had that were born. It made me realize that abortion is a very, very prevalent thing and it looks different in many different parts of the world, but it's still happening. And there's still that huge need to really come alongside people in pregnancy crisis and say, hey, we're here for you. And abortion doesn't have to end your future. It doesn't have to end your dreams. And there's hope and there's practical help you know, if you need a mattress, we'll we'll seek to find you a mattress, right? If you need to have someone talk to your parents, you don't get kicked out of your home. Then the students in Uganda are talking to the community leaders and then talking to the parents of these students and these young girls and finding a place for them to live, maybe with their grandma, or maybe they can stay with their family and really seeking to find solutions to those problems that definitely are different than problems we have in the United States or in Europe. I would say, especially the financial problems, 
is a huge concern. So not that there's not financial problems in the West, but in developing countries, it's it's a greater concern. But that said, communities come alongside each other and you have an aunt, you know, who will take in someone who's, if the parents are kicking them out from their home. I know that's very common in Jamaica. It's this community that comes together to help each other. And that's really what we need. And that's what we need to empower every single person to do and to create locally. What is the situation regarding abortion in Jamaica? So abortion is also not legal there. There is that protection for the preborn. That said, there are still abortions happening. It's hard to know exactly the numbers. So some estimates are one out of five or one out of four children are being lost to abortion. Pregnancies are ending to abortion in Jamaica. There is a push, a big push to legalize abortion in Jamaica at the moment. That is a problem. When we were there, we actually got to meet with the leaders of the Women's Center, which is a Jamaican government agency. And it's specifically for teenage girls who are students who get pregnant in school. And then they help the students to be able to get another job, get a skill, or finish their high school so they can go on to college. And they also teach the young women how to be moms how to raise their children. They work with their families to make sure that they have a safe place to live and that their families are able to be supportive and helpful for them. And they try to also work with the fathers of the children as well. And so there's really great programs even being offered in Jamaica for girls in pregnancy crisis, which is awesome. That said, there's still huge needs, right? There's still needs for maternity homes, for more pregnancy help awareness, and also for post-abortion healing. And that's something that's difficult because of the fact that it's not legal there. Sometimes women who've experienced abortion are afraid to share their stories because they are thinking, is it going to come back to harm me somehow? Is it, is there going to be some kind of legal ramifications? And there probably would not be, but there still is sometimes that concern in the back of people's minds. I know that there's a huge push in a lot of Latin and South American countries to get abortion legalized. We saw this with Argentina, where enormous pressure put on like a handful of, of, of senators resulted in abortion being legalized only two years after it was voted down. It had been voted down multiple times. Um, I know that in a number of other countries as well, abortion has recently been legalized, whereas other countries like Honduras have passed laws like uh, the, the, the shield to protect unborn children, which basically makes it virtually impossible for the judiciary or any future Congress to legalize uh, abortion. What have you seen on the ground in these countries with regards to attempts by the abortion activists to push for legalization? There's absolutely, I would say in most countries, big attempts to push for legalization. Actually, while we were there in Guatemala, in front of the national parliament, there was, and the presidential palace where the pro-life event was being hosted with the president and the many different political leaders, you know, the ministers of all different departments from Guatemala, there was a rally outside that was a pro-choice rally, pro-abortion rally. There's maybe 50, 100 people shouting and screaming with signs. Actually, on that Saturday, a few days later, we saw a very similar protest, probably by similar people or maybe the same people that was in Antigua, a different contouristy city nearby. And they were protesting against actually a tougher restriction on abortion that was being introduced by the Guatemalan legislature which ended up getting vetoed by the president because the fact that it wasn't a very strategic or well thought through proposal. But there is a big push, I would say, by activists and also from the higher up levels, especially there's a big push through treaties that are trying to be pushed. And there's one specifically pushed for the African countries and the Latin American countries in Pacific 
countries, this partnership, which would require or could open the door to for requiring abortion. So many of the countries are trying to stand up and to fight against those international efforts that are being, you know, pushed upon the countries. But it's difficult. And that's why we really need to raise up young people to be advocates for life and to be able to lobby their legislators so that there's not just a few people standing up for life, but then there's a really an army of people. And that's when we were in Guatemala seeing the young people actually protesting for abortion, it made me think we need to have young people trained to counter protest. Just like in the United States, we see when there's an event at the Supreme Court, there's always young people, usually from Students for Life of America and other pro-life organizations, out there standing for life. And that's what is hugely, hugely needed in so many of these countries that even have pro-life laws. What I keep hearing is we have pro-life laws and it's great, but we can tell that the young people are becoming pro-choice because the ideology is being pushed upon them through media. And even they're trying to put pro-choice curriculum in schools. We saw that trying to get done in Jamaica, curriculum encouraging sex before marriage and promiscuity, which is a huge, already a huge issue in Jamaica. I believe 80% of children are born out of wedlock in Jamaica. There's big pushes, but I do think that as we, and as we share the pro-life message and challenge and give opportunities for young people to stand up to lead for life, they are accepting that challenge and they're excited to do it. And that's what I see is the very hopeful thing. What would you say the, the biggest challenge we face is? I know I know the media pushes uh, the abortion talking points. You know, Planned Parenthood, all of Marie Stopes, you've got all these international abortion organizations that are also there. How about the fact that Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry seems to be so effective at getting into the universities and the schools? Have you faced any of that? I do know that in many of the countries in Latin America, I believe even in Guatemala, there is things donated by Planned Parenthood to their sex education classes. And I was just speaking with a Guatemalan friend recently who was sharing with me how in his high school class, they gave everybody these babies, which I've heard them doing here in the United States as well. In high schools, you give a person a baby and you have to take care of it for a week. But his perspective was that these babies aren't like real babies. They have to cry all the time. Like they don't. And the, the goal and how they communicated to these students was don't get pregnant. So you don't have to have a baby because babies are a lot of work and babies are a pain. It's a very interesting because I hadn't even thought of that particular strategy, right? Of Planned Parenthood funding things like baby dolls that are super expensive that, you know, cry and are very smart as a strategy of saying, okay, use birth control and get an abortion. So you don't have to deal with the annoying factor of a baby. So they're very sneaky. Like in many countries, I don't think Planned Parenthood is actually like officially in the schools. We also, there's Planned Parenthood. The interesting thing is there's Planned Parenthood Global and Planned Parenthood Federation. Planned Parenthood Global actually funds about 80 to 100 different organizations around the world. And what they say is their motto is backing the brave. They are funding pro-abortion activists and youth activists particularly and training and equipping them to be advocates in their countries. So that's why in many of these countries, we don't see, hey, this is Planned Parenthood, but it's really an organization that has been supported by Planned Parenthood Global or done their big international pro-abortion organization. So would it be fair to say that what you're attempting to do with with Pro-Life Global is to emulate that, backing the brave, but those who are pro-life as opposed to pro-abortion? Yes, I would say that. 
we have a different model and a different strategy. So we are not financially backing the brave, but what we are doing them is we're backing them emotionally and with and equipping them with the tools that they need to make it happen. And we believe in a model of community coming together, coming together, empowering each other to save lives and to create a pro-life future. And when we look at the fact that every year, according to the World Health Organization, there's 73 million people whose lives are lost to abortion. We realize that we have to have an army of 73 million people to be able to counter this. It's 73 million people. We're never going to be able to raise that many people if we have to fund them all and pay them all. And that's what we see in Africa, for example. The pro-abortion groups will actually pay people to attend a workshop, a pro-abortion workshop. And we can't afford to do that. But honestly, I think that's okay because if someone's paid to do something, then they'll only do it when they're paid. But if we empower people to see the value of human life and to care about this enough, that they will give their time and their effort and their dedication, just like we're doing, then that's how we're going to have a collect world. That's how we can have a world of 73 million people standing for life and saving lives around the world. And that's how we're going to see a pro-life world. What's next on your plans? You've done Guatemala. You've done Jamaica. Um, I know that you've got a Latin American coordinator. You guys have a team of volunteers. So what's what's? let's look about 12 months out. What do you hope to accomplish by the end of 2022? We already have in the books for May, going to Colombia, Puerto Rico, Bolivia, likely. Then in the summer, we're looking at several different Asian countries. And then we already have scheduled for September going to Nigeria, and there's a big push to legalize abortion there, actually. So they're hosting a nationwide event at the end of April and early May, gathering people from all around the nation to stand for life and to communicate to their legislators and to the media that they are pro-life and want Nigeria to remain protecting the pre-born and women in pregnancy crisis. So we're going to go to Nigeria, several other African countries as well in the fall. And then, I don't know, November, December, probably some more countries. We haven't figured out exactly which places we're going to yet. But our goal from 2022, summer 2022 to 2023, is we want to see a thousand pro-life young people trained up as activists. And we want to start a thousand, no, 10,000 activists, sorry, 10,000 trained young people and 1,000 groups. It started across the world. And I think this is very possible because the fact that our model is we're empowering the local pro-life leaders in their communities to mentor and start those groups. So we don't have to work with every single individual student, but we are raising up those leaders and the pro-life organizations that are mentoring those students. And that's why I believe it's going to be very possible to actually reach that thousand groups within a year. And after that, probably the next year will be 10,000 groups for the next year. Where can listeners uh, check out your work if they want to see what you're up to? Well, our website is prolifeglobal.org. Check that out. We have an Instagram page as well, which is prolifeglobal.org. Facebook page, we have a podcast that's about to be released where young people from around the world, our first episode features a young student from Panama sharing about his pro-life work, how he organized debates in his schools. So there's going to be different young people from around the world we're going to be featuring on our podcast. You can stay updated with that. Also, subscribe on our website. We have an email update we send out regularly. And we would love for people to be a part of really creating a pro-life world. And that's something that I think 
in the US, we oftentimes think, well, there's needs to be done work here. And we do. We have a lot of work that needs to be done in the US. That said, there's 1 million abortions every year in the US and 73 million outs of the, well, total, which means about 99% of abortions are happening outside the US every year. And outside the US, there's so few people who are actually trained and equipped to effectively save lives that there's a huge, huge opportunity for ministry. And I think when we are able to support them, we can actually create a world where people recognize the value of human life, the forgiveness that they have in Christ, and can truly be advocates for life and actually have a good life and a happy life that's full of joy and know that there's hope. There's hope for the future. That's what we all need. We all need hope. And so that's the listeners for you. Go to prolifeglobal.org, check out our Instagram, Facebook podcast, and know that you have hope for your life as well. Bethany, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all of this. Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Bethany Jansen of Pro-Life Global. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Next week, we're going to have on Andrew Claven of The Daily Wire to discuss his new book on literature and knowing Christ. We thank you all for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us next week.